Beautiful sound, guys. Beautiful sound. Good morning, church. Good morning. How are we today? Good, good. If you have your Bible, let's open those up to Acts chapter 21, please. Acts chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 15 this morning. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, you are indeed the ancient days, and there's none above you, none before you. We pray that we would be mindful of all that we owe you in Christ. I pray that our lives would reflect the sincere joy and pleasure that we get from worshiping you. So we're here this morning as we open your word. I pray that our hearts would be uh, inclined to hear it and to uh, put our life in line with what we find here. As we see Paul make his way to Jerusalem knowing that he's going to suffer, I ask that we would have the same resolve that Paul has. The same willingness to do whatever is necessary to bring you glory in our life and in our ministries. We love you. It's in our son's name that I pray. Amen. So last week, we wrapped up chapter 20, uh, where we saw Paul making his way to Jerusalem. Uh, he's been going around to many of the different churches uh, in many different areas of Macedonia, and he's collecting a financial gift that he's going to take back to Jerusalem with him so that he can give that to suffering saints in Jerusalem. Uh, there are poor saints struggling there, and some churches in Macedonia have uh, generously offered this gift and support. Um, and so Paul has been rounding that up, and he's getting ready to make his way back to Jerusalem. And as he's uh, making this journey, we notice that he's on a timeline. He's trying to keep pace with getting back to Jerusalem for this, the yearly celebration of Pentecost. You remember Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit fell, and people started speaking in tongues, and from that point forward, uh, the Holy Spirit has been with the people of God when they come to faith. Well, every year they would celebrate that in Jerusalem, and he's trying to get back in time uh, to make that celebration. And because he's on this timeline, he makes a conscious effort to avoid Ephesus as he's making his way back towards Jerusalem. Uh, the, the reason is he doesn't want to get bogged down there. He has just recently wrapped up three years of ministry among the Ephesian people. Uh, he's probably been gone for about a year at this point. He's gathering up that, that gift, and so uh, he's been gone for about a year, and there's people that he deeply loves, and he has spent three years of his life uh, working with and, and ministering to. Uh, and so he feels great affection for these people, and they have great affection for him as well. And so he's concerned that if he were to go there, and be in their presence again, it may cause significant delay in his mission. And he's trying to get back on a timeline. And so he sails past Ephesus, and he lands in a city called Miletus. Uh, but even though he's trying to get to Jerusalem by a specific time, he still makes time in Miletus uh, to send out a message to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And he wants to give them some final uh, words of encouragement 
uh, as they're uh, in their role as elders. And so the elders, they make the journey from Ephesus to Miletus, where they join up with Paul. He rehashes a lot of the work that he had done with them and for them in Ephesus, and he warns them that you need to guard yourself and you need to guard the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers for because there will be some when he leaves that will rise up even among their number who want to destroy the church. And so he's giving them this warning. He says they're going to distort the truth with lies. They're going to try to turn people away from worshiping Jesus and to following them. And so they need to be on alert. And he also reminds them of the necessity of taking care of the weak. He says there, because of the words of Jesus, which stated, it is more blessed to give than to receive, you need to pour yourself out for the benefit of others as they receive the blessing that you give them. And it says that after their time came to a close, Paul kneels down with them and he prays with them. And Luke tells us that there were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul, they kiss him, and they grieve because Paul was very clear that he had he was pretty sure that he would never see them again on this side of heaven. And it says that they went with him to the ship, and that catches us up to Acts chapter 21. We're going to see more of Paul's progress as he's making his way towards Jerusalem. And as we see him go through in this brief section, uh, we're going to be confronted with an apparent contradiction that we see in verse 4. I'm going to try to help clear that up Um, And we're also going to think a little bit about the cost of discipleship that is shown to us in what's awaiting Paul when he gets to Jerusalem. So as we've been making our way through Acts, it has been made clear to Paul, very clear to Paul, uh, especially in the last few chapters, uh, through the Holy Spirit, that when he arrives in Jerusalem, suffering is waiting for him. Paul shares this with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verses 22 to 24. Where he says, and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are awaiting for me. When I consider my life, but I consider my life of no value to myself, my purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. So keep this in mind as we're reading Acts 21, verses 1 to 15, and think about when we get to verse 4, just consider what's said there uh, that comes across as an apparent contradiction. So follow along with me as I read that. After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail straight for Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and arrived at Tyre. Since the ship was to unload its cargo there, we sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to an end, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached Ptolemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. The next day, we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. 
After we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul replied, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Alright, so Luke begins chapter 21 by revealing that Paul chose rightly to avoid going to Ephesus. Alright, verse 1 simply says that the goodbye with the Ephesian elders was difficult. He makes it clear the group had to tear themselves away from the other group. They didn't want to say goodbye to Paul, and the idea of never seeing him again was just too much for them to bear. And Paul, is, as well as an, an affectionate man, right, who loves the people of God, you can see this here in these verses as well. If you read the New Testament epistles, you see uh, he's constantly telling these churches how much he loves them, how grateful he is for them, how much he prays for them. So he is a very affectionate people. And so given how hard it was for him to leave these Ephesian uh, elders it's safe to say that if he had gone to Ephesus and saw all these Christians that were there that he had poured his life into for the last three years, it would have been significantly harder. Right? It may have been enough to delay the continuation of Paul's trip to the point that he wouldn't have made it to Jerusalem by Pentecost, which was his goal. I don't think they could have stopped him long term, but they could have possibly made him miss that celebration which he was striving so hard to get there for. So Paul had foresight about the struggle that was going to be there regarding uh, these people. And so he settled away and got, got away a lot more easily from Miletus than he would have from Ephesus. Right? From there we see he quickly travels through several places. He goes through Cos, Rhodes, Patera, Phoenicia, and on to Tyre. Tyre. And when they arrived in Tyre, uh, they spent a whole week there, probably again waiting on a ship. They were waiting on that boat to get ready to, to launch again. And during that week, Paul sought out the believers in the city. Now, Paul is not going to spend idle time, just, you know, he's not sitting there playing Uno with the people from his group, just waiting for the time to go by. He is a worker for the kingdom of God. He is going to make sure that that time is well spent. And so he goes out and seeks the believers there entire. And these people, they had likely never met Paul. Right? Paul wasn't involved in the establishment of the church there entire. Uh, when this church was established, Paul was known as Saul. And Paul was in the process of persecuting the church. Right? In fact, the persecution of the church in Jerusalem by Paul led to this ripple effect that brought the religious leaders uh, out to Tyre. Right, we see this in Acts chapter 8. When the saints in Jerusalem scattered to avoid the persecution, Tyre is one of those places that they went. Uh, and they did what they were supposed to do. It's what every believer is supposed to do. They took the gospel with them wherever they went. And whatever reason they went, they took the gospel with them. And because of that, roughly 20 years later, in a strange turn of events, Paul is visiting with them 
as an apostle and a brother in Christ. I mean, that's the power of the gospel to change lives. He's the one that drove them there at one point in his life, and because of what Jesus did in his life, he is now an apostle, and he's going to them as a brother in Christ. He seeks them out in order to do well for them and to minister with them and, and enjoy fellowship together with them. But it is here in verse 4 that we run into an apparent contradiction. I tried to point it out as we were doing the read-through, uh, but if you'll look at verse 4 again, Luke states that the believers in Tyre, through the Spirit, told Paul not to go to Jerusalem because they have been told what awaits Paul when he gets there. Right now, as it reads, this is a direct contradiction from what the Holy Spirit has been telling Paul as he's made his way to Jerusalem. Right in Acts chapter 19 and in Acts chapter 20, Paul stated that he is compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is the one that is pushing him in that direction. And he's been saying the whole time that you will suffer, you will suffer, you will suffer. Chains await you when you get there. But because Paul values the mission and ministry that was given to him by Jesus more than he values his own life. He says, I am resolute in going. There is nothing that is going to change my mind. Not the elders in Ephesus, not all these believers that he met up with along the way who had begged him not to go. He is resolute to go no matter how much suffering is waiting for him there. But here in Acts 21, it appears that the Holy Spirit has changed his mind. Right, Luke tells us that these believers are saying, through the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. And yet Paul still goes. So, is Paul now being disobedient to the Spirit? Because through the Spirit, he has been told not to go, and he is going to Jerusalem. Has the Holy Spirit, in fact, changed his mind? about Paul going to Jerusalem. I mean, how do we interpret this? This is admittedly, it's not an easy thing to understand. It's not an easy thing to work around based on how it reads. In verse 4, the Holy Spirit seems to be saying not to go to Jerusalem through those believers. But in verse 10, we met a prophet named Agabus. Again, for the second time, this is the second time. This is a guy that you don't want coming to one of your parties because he never has good news. Right? This is the second time that we've met him. He showed up originally in Acts chapter 11 where he predicted a severe famine that was going to work its way through the entire Roman world. And now here in Acts 21, he's predicting Paul's incarceration. Right? But note, he didn't tell Paul not to go. Right? The Holy Spirit gave him a prophecy about the future, but not a prohibition for continuing on. So this is one of those situations in Scripture that do have a tendency to come up from time to time where we need to take clear passages of Scripture and clear doctrines from Scripture, and we're going to use those to help us understand more complicated passages. Right, so let's consider a few things that will help us understand what to make of verse 4. And I've put these four things on your worship guide for you to help, to help lead the way in this. Uh, number one, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is God, and God is entirely consistent in every way. 
right, entirely consistent, never ceasing to be who he is, never changing his mind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that God is not a God of confusion. Right? And you would see that this is a little confusing. 19 says, Holy Spirit says go, suffering's waiting. 20 says go, suffering's waiting. 21 says, wait, don't go, because there's suffering awaiting. Right? That doesn't make sense. So it would be inconsistent and confusing of the Holy Spirit to change his mind on Paul's way to Jerusalem, especially after it has already been made clear that Paul is going to suffer when he gets to Jerusalem. This isn't news. It's not like he was like, go skipping into Jerusalem, everything will be fine, and all of a sudden something's changed. Right? Paul knew from the start, as he made his way to Jerusalem, that suffering was waiting for him. And so telling him not to go to Jerusalem because he was going to be be suffering would be a really strange thing for him to bring up at this point in the trip. Alright, so remember, God is consistent in every way. And so number two, the Holy Spirit has made it very clear to Paul in the past on what he wanted Paul to do. Alright, so if you remember back in uh, previously in the book of Acts, when Paul was wanting to make his way into Asia, you've got the Holy Spirit not allowing him to go there. He tried three times to go into Asia, and the Holy Spirit wasn't allowed. Right? And then, instead, he gets a vision of this man from Macedonia who says, no, we, want, we need you here. And so that's what brings him into Macedonia for the first time. And so he goes to the, the Macedonian people because the Holy Spirit led him very clearly to go there. So you would think that if the Holy Spirit had changed his mind here, that there's no way that Paul would ever have been able to make it to Jerusalem. Paul tried to get to Asia, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow it. He was restrained from that. And so, you know, if you see him making his way there, I think the Holy Spirit would have blocked the way. There would have been no way for him to get there. Number three, Paul is willing to die for the cause of Christ, but he also understands that living offers more opportunities to share Christ with people. Right? He says in Philippians 1, verses 20 to 24, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So knowing this, seeing Paul's willingness to be obedient to Christ, no matter what it costs him, makes it hard to believe that if he really thought that the Holy Spirit was speaking to him through the believers in Tyre, that he would just say, no, I'm still going. Now, he has devoted everything in his life to being obedient to Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, it seems like the Holy Spirit is telling him not to go. And so, I find it difficult that he would willingly walk into persecution, knowing what was coming for him there, if he really believed that the Holy Spirit had said, don't go. Right, and the last thing I think we should consider is Agabus' prophecy in verse 11. He tells everyone listening that Paul would be bound by the Jews in Jerusalem. He was given that prophecy by the Holy Spirit 
but there was no prohibition on going to Jerusalem as there appears to be in the message from the believers in Tyre. So, again, did the Holy Spirit change his mind about what Paul was supposed to do? So, a couple of verses before that, the Holy Spirit said, don't go. And now you have this prophecy that says, when you go in Jerusalem, while you're there, you're going to be arrested. They're going to bind you, your hands and your feet, and this is going to happen. And so no, Paul is supposed to go to Jerusalem. He's supposed to give the gift that he's been collecting from the Gentile churches in Macedonia, and he's supposed to be put in prison for his faith. This is what is supposed to happen. Right, so with these things in mind, it's probably best to interpret verse 4 with the understanding that the believers in Tyre were told by the Holy Spirit what was going to happen, and then they responded in a similar way that the believers in Caesarea responded. They pleaded him not, with, with him not to go. Right? They loved Paul. Right? Even if you only knew Paul for a week, it seemed like you could be very drawn to him. He had one of these personalities that were probably bigger than life. And when he loves as well as he seems to in, in his writings, it's an attractive person to be around. And even though he had only been there for a week, they pleaded with Paul not to go. So that's probably the best way to interpret this. They got, the Holy Spirit told them, hey, he's going to suffer. This really will be the last time you ever see this man. And they didn't want him to go. And so Paul was moved by everyone's concern for his well-being. Right? I'm sure that he gave the response to the Tyrian believers in the same way that he gave uh, to those in Caesarea in verse 13. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. Right? I'm sure he appreciated their affection for him. But them weeping and begging him not to go, when you know, like, God has put this on my heart, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. I know what I have coming for me down, down this path. And, they, and they're sitting there, don't go, please don't go, we love you, please don't go. Like, stop it. You know, get behind me, Satan. Like, I don't need any of this to, to burden my path as I go because he says, I am not only willing to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. So everyone has to respond to Paul in the same way uh, that the companions of Paul responded in verse 14. When Paul wouldn't be persuaded not to go, they had to say, the Lord's will be done. Paul's going. Paul's going to deliver his gift. He's going to suffer for his faith. And he's going to be arrested in Jerusalem, uh, just like Jesus. Right? He's going to face trials in Jerusalem, just like Jesus. The Roman courts are going to find no reason to condemn him, just like Jesus. The church history tells us that eventually Paul gives his life for his faith. Because he was a Roman citizen, he was probably beheaded. They don't crucify their own. Right? So he was probably beheaded. This part, though, isn't just like Jesus because Jesus didn't die for his faith. Right? He died so that the penalty of sin could be paid for and so that a relationship with God the Father could be restored. Paul couldn't die in the same way that Jesus died. Right? Because Paul was guilty of sin. 
just like you and I. Right? That's why we cannot save ourselves. That's why Jesus is turning his face towards Jerusalem and being resolute in his pursuit of the punishment that he knew was coming for him was necessary so that we might have new life in him. And so that Saul could be known as Paul and he could go on this on these missionary journeys and see this radical change in this one who killed Christians at the beginning of his ministry and now he's going to die for the pursuit of that ministry. And it's an amazing thing to see what the gospel can do and what a relationship with Jesus can do. Right? We have new life in him and this new life that promises several things for us and for Paul. First off, it promises that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. This is something that the Apostle Paul never got over. Right? I've mentioned to you before, like he had said, I am the least of the apostles because I am one who persecuted the church. Right? It probably haunts him that he was responsible for the death of many of the people when the church was first getting started. I think it haunts him to realize what he, his hand had in that. I think it bothers him. But I think he's so overwhelmed by the grace of God that he makes sure that we know often that it is by grace that you are saved, not by works, not by anything that you have done, but in everything that Jesus has done. And in that salvation, there is no condemnation. There is no guilt that is too big for the cross of Christ. Now he's blown away by the idea that someone like himself could have been a saved by the atoning death of Jesus. Right? He never got over the grace that he was shown. The second thing is it promises hardship in this life. Salvation guarantees our difficulty if we are faithful to do all that God has called us to do. Paul was prepared to give his life for his faith because of never getting over the good news of the gospel. He said, my, my life is of no value to me outside of the mission that God has given me. And I want to live for Christ. And if I cannot live for Christ, then I want to die for Christ. Right? So there's going to be hardship in this life. It is guaranteed. Jesus was very clear in all that would come for those who are faithful to honor and serve him in this life. But the good news is, is there, there is meaning in that pain. There's meaning in all pain for those who love Jesus. Because he uses all things for the good of those who love him and whom he loves. It doesn't mean that that pain will not exist. It just means that God uses it for his glory somehow. I mean, we may not ever understand it in this life, but it's going to shape us to be more and more like Jesus. And then the watching world gets to see us suffer in that way, and they say, where do you come with all that? How do you get all that joy? Where do you come with all that hope? Like this is a dire situation. And then we get to then point to the goodness of God in Christ through the gospel. And the watching world gets to be amazed by, how can you do that? Right, and lastly, the third thing, after all the difficulty of this life is over, we have eternity to revel in the presence of God that will lack all the things that made this life hard. Like there's no more sin, no more sorrow. 
No more pain. No more war. No more sickness. We get an eternity on the other side of this that will make everything that we've experienced here worth every, I mean, we won't even compare the hardship of this life to the glory that's there. And so, Paul understands, and he calls us to understand, that we all have some journey to Jerusalem. We all have some ministry that God has called us to that's going to involve some kind of hardship, some kind of pain, some kind of persecution. And if we will have the mindset of Paul, we will point ourselves in that direction we will ask like Jesus, Lord, if this, if this can pass from me, then so be it, let it pass. But if not, you be honored, you be glorified. But we all have this promise that helped Paul go to Jerusalem without any fear, without any hesitation. And he actually said, guys, give me a break when the people were trying to get him not to go. Like, guys, I'm going. And the question is, will we go too? Right? God is calling us to be sent from this place to do wonderful things in his name wherever we are. Right? Your ministry is unique to you. And God has put people in your path, in your realm of influence, so that you can be faithful to take the gospel to them in the same way that Paul was. And the question is, are you being faithful as Paul is faithful, to share the gospel no matter what it may cost you. So I want you to think about it. Let's pray again. Father, we are grateful for what Jesus has allowed us to experience through his life, death, and resurrection. We're grateful that your word is clear. That we all have a mission to be on to make disciples of all nations. And that, Lord, that there will be no moment in that mission when you are not with us. <coughs> that doesn't promise that things will be easy. In fact, you have promised that if we are faithful to that mission, things will be hard. The world will come against us because the world has come against you. Because Jesus suffered, we will suffer. Help us to help us to understand this. Help us to uh, see that anything that awaits us in our faithfulness to you is worth it. It's worth our suffering. It's worth our trials. It's worth our persecution in order to make your name known and to show a watching world that no matter what happens to us, you are greater. You're more valuable to us than our own lives. So as we go from this place, impress upon us this resolution to be faithful the way that Paul was faithful. Help us to understand everything that we need to know to be a rock-solid evangelist and disciple-maker, someone who's willing to give it all up for your name. But we have so many distractions in this life. So many things that 
allure us to be not on mission. And I pray that you would help us to resist these things in such a way that brings meaning to our life and shows the world that we love you more than anything else. And in that, I love you and your son precious name that I pray. Amen.